Mino Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge because, as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birthed this podcast, Pregnancy Pearls, with Dr. Plenty. Hey friends, welcome back to Pregnancy Pearls Podcast with me, Dr. Nicole Plenty. I hope you had a fantabulous week thus far and that it's been productive. And if it hasn't been productive, I hope that it was at least restful. It would be great if someone else would get some rest for me too because... Oh, I feel like I'm lacking. I need a vacation because I have a one-year-old. But I guess that's probably the same way you guys are feeling. So I won't complain too much. I guess that's just first-time mom problems. A lot of you, especially my first-time moms, have been asking lots of questions about what you've been told about being delivered and is it normal? So on this episode, I'm going to answer all of those questions and break down what your physician or provider really means when it comes to the labor and delivery process. I feel like we should go over some general terms that many of you have asked about because let's just get us a a normal base, okay? So when it comes to delivery, you can be either induced, augmented, or labor naturally without augmentation. So being induced means that your cervix is totally closed, but because there's a medical reason or an issue with your baby that necessitates delivery, we, meaning your provider, will give you medicines to soften your cervix and eventually cause contractions that will put you into labor. So being induced or an induction means that you're not in labor. Your cervix is like, what's going on? I don't know what to do. And we're giving you medicines to make you go into labor. Okay. Now this takes a little while. Your cervix is going to be completely closed and is now getting more and more signals because of the progesterone that we give you to cause regular contractions. Okay. Not progesterone, excuse me, prostaglandins we're giving you going to cause regular contractions okay over time so because your cervix was like super close it's sort of like wait a minute somebody keeps on poking me and telling me to wake up somebody keeps poking me somebody keeps poking me oh my god oh my god i'm waking up right so it takes a little time for your body to get accustomed to the contractions and for those contractions to be enough strong enough more consistent enough to cause cervical change okay so that's an induction Now, being augmented or an augmentation of labor is giving you medicines to cause you to contract more. But in this situation, you're already in labor or showing signs of labor. So if your water has broken, meaning you've experienced rupture of membranes, or if your cervix is already dilated four centimeters, you're already in labor. Okay, you just may not be progressing at the rate that you should to be safe. Okay, so. If you're ruptured for a really long time, that increases your risk of infection. If your cervix stalls out, that can cause you have swelling that increases your C-section rate. So an augmentation is just a little push, okay? We give you Pitocin or other medicines, most likely Pitocin. Or if you're dilated and your water hasn't broken, we may break your water to push your labor along. So we're progressing it, okay? 
medicine like pitocin which is a medicine that acts exactly like the hormone your body makes called oxytocin that's usually the first thing that's given to help increase the frequency of the contractions so induction you're starting from scratch okay we're giving you medicine it's going to take longer augmentation we're not starting from scratch but we're giving you a little nudge to speed things up so you won't get into trouble like an infection or have issues with bleeding now, some people refer as natural labor as being in labor and already contracting frequently enough to cause the cervix to dilate more without any medicines. So you're doing it on your own, mama. You came in, you're already dilating, you're banging at contractions every two to three minutes, and your cervix is changing every time you're checked. So you are naturally progressing on your own. You don't need any augmentation. Now, if you start to stall out or slow down, so your contractions start to space and they're not as frequent as they should be, then we may end up giving you some augmentation. But Natural labor, meaning no augmentation, is when you are contracting every two to three minutes and you're having cervical change and your baby looks good. Everything's going with the flow. Now, active labor happens when your cervix is actively changing with dilation greater than four centimeters. Okay, so before four centimeters, you have latent labor. And now if you are multiparous, meaning uh, multiparous is another term. It just means you've had babies before. Okay, nulliparous means you've never had a baby before. So if you're multiparous, then uh, some would argue that 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 level of active labor is when you're six centimeters or more. Okay, general rule of thumb, four centimeters um, or more is active labor. Less than that is uh, called latent labor. Okay, latent labor, meaning we don't know what you're going to do. You are not going to progress at the rate that we can predict because you're not active yet. Okay, active labor is when we should be progressing every time you are checked. So usually you're dilating a centimeter an hour. Okay, you're dilated. So technically speaking, to get from the four to 10 should take us somewhere about six to eight hours. Okay, if we are in true active labor. Now, we don't care how you got there. It just says that you're over four centimeters, okay? So that's whether you are augmented, whether you are induced, or whether you have meds or not, okay? Whether you're natural or not, it doesn't matter. So if you're beyond the four centimeters, you're considered now in active labor. Four centimeters and you're contracting more uh, frequently enough to cause cervical change, then you are in active labor. Now, your physician might tell you during the labor that your baby's tracing is not reassuring or non-reassuring. Well, what does that mean, right? It means that your baby is showing signs of distress or signs that they're not getting enough oxygen. And we can tell this by monitoring the baby's fetal heart rate tracing or the baby's heart rate tracing. If we see drops in the heart rate that starts shortly after the peak of a contraction, because we're monitoring your contractions, just like we're monitoring the baby's heart rate, then that's a sign that your baby isn't getting good enough oxygen okay and if that happens over and over again your physician might call either an urgent meaning it's not life or death but we should move in that direction c-section or if the tracing is really bad meaning the baby's heart rate went down okay below the level that it's supposed to and stays down or if we keep on having signs that the baby isn't getting good oxygen, that's called late decelerations because we have a contraction and then the baby's heart rate drops after that contraction. 
Contraction, the baby's heart rate drops after the contraction. Contraction, the baby's heart rate drops after the contraction. That will be called late decelerations. If we have that consistently, then that is a sign that this baby is in distress and we've got to get out now, okay? Or we could have long-term complications. And so that would be a stat C-section that needs to be done as soon as possible. And that is life or death. Okay, that's when we get the baby out in one minute, okay? Because we know that that baby has to come out now. Now, there are a couple things your physician can use to induce your labor. They might use what's called a cervidil, and that is a type of prostaglandin that causes thinning of the cervix, which is usually what's needed so that your cervix can start to dilate. So your cervix is the opening of your uterus, and it will get thinner and thinner and thinner and then start to dilate usually. Now, it can dilate and then get thin, but most of the time it's going to thin out and then dilate. And that looks like uh, that cervidil is just like it has that hormone, the the prostaglandins on there, at, on this like shoestring looking looking uh, thing. It's like a string, okay? And we're going to place that in the back of the vagina right under the cervix. So we're placing it as high as we possibly can. And on that little shoestring med, it's going to exert that or release those uh, those uh, natural prostaglandins to cause your cervix to soften. And sometimes it can cause you to have contractions too. So we can get a little dilation as well. Now there's another medicine that's another type of prostaglandin. It's called Cytotec. Um, but it's in a pill form, and that's placed in the vagina, and it's usually given every three to four hours. It's a little bit more potent, okay? And so depending on how far along you are, um, and depending on, um, you know, the thickness of your cervix is going to tell your OBGYN or your provider how frequently in the dosage of the Cytotec they will place in your vagina. So that just goes as high as possible, a little pill, and that... Is more frequent now. The cervidil is the longer acting um, medicine, longer acting prostaglandin that stays in for 12 hours. Okay, Cytotec is the prostaglandin we're training every three to four hours. So you may hear one of the two of those for an induction. Okay, you may also hear your doctor talk about placing what's called a balloon to help your induction. And it isn't a big helium balloon. So every time I talk to a patient about, hey, we may need to use a balloon. They're like, what, you going to put a balloon in my vagina? No, it's not like a helium balloon. It's a catheter with a balloon on the tip. The catheter is placed through the cervix and is inflated basically on the side of the uterus. Okay. Above the cervix, inside of the uterus. Okay. So it's going to be between the baby's head and the cervix. And it's inflated with sterile water or saline that's going to exert pressure on the cervix. Now, some of the newer balloon catheters actually have two balloons. There's one that inflates behind the cervix in the uterus and the other that inflates in front of the cervix in the vagina. So basically, it makes a little cervix sandwich. Okay. So there's pressure exerted on each side of the cervix. Um, with these two balloons and your cervix is between the two balloons. Okay, so that helps you mechanically dilate and that pressure on the cervix also helps you release some natural prostaglandins to cause your cervix to thin and then dilate as well. All right, so I think I belabored the medical terms. Okay, so I think that's good enough for a baseline start. 
So now let's get to your questions. And we don't have any cases today because we have questions to break down the lingo. I thought I'd switch it up this week. So medical intern, what's our first question? Our first question says, Dr. Plenty, I am now two weeks postpartum. My baby was born at 36 weeks because my water broke and I went into labor. When I arrived at the hospital, I was five centimeters dilated. My baby started having drops in the heart rate and I was told I needed an amnio infusion to treat it. That seemed to help for a second, but a few hours later, I was told I needed a C-section. My baby went into the NICU because I was told the cord was wrapped around my baby's neck and he wasn't getting oxygen. My question is, what is an amnio infusion and could that have caused the cord to wrap around my baby's neck? An amnio infusion is when we insert a little catheter into the uterus and we infuse fluid back into the uterus as a way to cushion the cord. So we do that when people have what's called variable decelerations in the baby's heart rate. What does that mean, right? So it means that sometimes if the baby's cord is being compressed by the body of the baby or the head of the baby, they can have what's called variable decelerations, meaning they just have these sharp dips that aren't associated with any contractions. The heart rate just goes down and right back up, okay? And then it looks like a normal tracing and it goes down and right back up. Well, we don't want the baby's heart rate ever to go down. So the amnio infusion is a way for us to give people that are ruptured already, Instead of that being that the baby having core compression because there's not any fluid because we've broken your water or your water's broken naturally, we infuse fluid back into the uterus to cushion the cord. So that works some of the time because now you have fluid around the cord and the cord is now free floating again and not being compressed. Now, that's a temporary fix, right? We hope that as you dilate more and more, we don't have to worry about this cord entrapment. But sometimes if the cord is between the head, you can have what's called cord prolapse, meaning the cord can't actually come through the cervix. That's a surgical emergency. That would mean a stat C-section because that's the only way the baby's getting oxygen is through the cord. So if the cord is compressed and the heart rate stays down uh, or you have cord prolapse, and that means that that blood flow is is sort of impinged inside of the vagina. Well, we got to get the baby out, okay? So sometimes it works um, to cushion. Sometimes it doesn't. Like if you are more dilated and we're doing an amnio infusion, well, the water's just going to leak right back on out. So it's a very temporary fix. So if you keep on having repetitive decelerations, then yeah, you would need a C-section because we don't want anything to happen to the baby. Now your question is, um, your second question is, could that have caused the cord to wrap around the baby's neck? Well, no, no, that didn't cause that. Okay, uh uh-uh, that did not cause that. So an amnio infusion is not going to cause anything to wrap, okay? It's not anything physical that we're doing. It's literally just putting fluid into, um, into, uh, the uterus okay so with if the cord was wrapped around the baby's neck well that was what was causing the cord to compress because every time you had a contraction that meant that the baby's head was being pushed which could also tighten the cord which could cut off blood flow through the cord so that's what we're feeling and if you have an amnio infusion that cord being wrapped around the baby's neck isn't going to be relieved by putting fluid back into the uterus. So that's why you needed a C-section. It had nothing to do with 
you know, oh, the amnio infusion caused the baby's cord to be wrapped around the neck. That is an absolute myth. Okay, it's because the cord was compressed and uh, there wasn't good flow through the cord. Now, people think, oh my God, the cord wrapped around the baby's neck is strangulating the baby. Your baby isn't breathing inside of the uterus, okay? It's getting its oxygen through the blood, through the umbilical cord, okay? So if it's tight, yes, it can kink off flow through the umbilical cord, but it's not choking the baby. So I don't want to think it's choking the baby because that's not true. It could be impinged somewhere and cut off circulation through the cord, not because of choking the baby. But an amnion infusion did not cause that. All right, uh, medical intern, what's our second question? Our second question says, Dr. Plenty, thank you for always answering my questions on social media. It's nice to know that I can ask questions. My doctor mentioned that she will do a delayed cord clamping at the time of delivery, and then my husband can cut the cord. What does delayed cord clamping mean? I feel like we had an episode on delayed cord clamping, but I'm not completely sure. I know I've talked about the topic, but I'm not sure we have a show dedicated directly to that, specifically to that. Um, But what we mean by delayed cord clamping is the baby is delivered. So the head comes out, followed by the rest of the body. We then try to time how long it's been from the delivery of the baby to when we actually clamp and cut the cord, okay? And we try to delay clamping and cutting the umbilical cord from the baby for 30 to 60 seconds, okay? Why? Because the American College of OBGYNs tells us that that is the optimal time to prevent fetal anemia, and that is also um, not too long that it starts to cause severe anemia you know back in the day they used to say keep the cord uh you know unclamped until the fluid stops you know blood stops pulsing or deliver the placenta with the baby still attached to the cord well we know if that happens you know the placenta is not getting blood from the uterus anymore it's detached you can actually start having blood flow from the baby to the placenta that in turn causes bad stuff to happen like severe anemia okay you know we see all these pictures on social media of the baby still attached to the placenta oh it's so beautiful the baby's attached to the placenta oh my god every time i see a picture of that it gives me palpitations right because that baby is no longer dependent on that cord it's not attached to the uterus there is no blood flowing from that placenta to the baby and people wonder like oh my god how did my baby end up dying from severe anemia well that's how because now your baby has severe anemia because there's no blood from that, but you haven't clamped it. The data shows us that after the cord stops pulsating, which usually takes about a minute, there's no benefit to keeping the baby attached to the cord. You can actually do more damage. And then I also saw a recent social media post where there was a baby that was attached to the cord and the mom was basically keeping the uh, placenta and she was like covering it with what looked like like tree bark you know and i was thinking to myself oh my god this is set up for infection and that that is another reason why we don't want to keep the placenta attached to the baby because it can increase your risk of infection not all the time everybody said well my baby did this everybody it doesn't happen to everybody okay but if it happens more often than not or if it happens to one case too many then we know we shouldn't do that we shouldn't do that 
And people are like, oh, this is the natural thing to do. I'm going to keep my placenta attached to the baby. Y'all, I'm not a fan of that. I'm not a fan of that. Okay. And I know some of y'all going to come after me on social media because I got a lot of natural pregnancy people following me. But I'm not into that. Anything that increases that baby's risk of infection, I'm not into. And if it's not based on the data, I ain't doing it. Okay. So somebody's grandma told you to do whatever, whatever. I'm not saying that your grandma's wrong, but there's no data to back that up. So what we say, what we mean by delayed cord clamping is we don't clamp the cord for 30 to 60 seconds because we know that that helps reduce fetal anemia. Anything more than that, we can cause harm. I'm not saying it's going to cause harm every time, but if it's a risk of causing harm and the data shows me, hey, we used to do this back in the day, we got poor outcomes, and this is the best data and the best practices, then that's what I'm going to do. So delay core clamping for 30 to 60 seconds to help prevent anemia in the baby. That's what we mean by delayed. All right. So what is our next question? The next question says, Dr. Plenty, I'm 34 weeks and have high blood pressure. I was told I need weekly BPPs to make sure that my baby is okay. What is a BPP and why is that being done? You know, I think it's funny because people say that all the time. Oh, we're going to bring you back for weekly BPPs. I'm guilty of it too, because we assume that you know what exactly we mean. And we assume that we've told you at some point, but you're right. I'm glad that somebody's asking this question because we as providers aren't really good at this. We just assume because we do this every day that sure, you know what we're talking about, but that's a fair question. So a BPP stands for biophysical profile. Okay. Biophysical profile. And it is a test of fetal well-being, meaning it's a test to say, Hey, is this baby affected? Is this baby doing all right? This baby going to make it another week. That's why we do the biophysical profiles. People that have um, high blood pressure issues have a higher risk of preeclampsia, sevenfold increased risk of preeclampsia, which is when you have high blood pressure and vascular damage. That vascular damage looks like protein in your urine. People that have high blood pressure or preeclampsia have an increased risk of having a smaller baby. That's because of that vascular damage that you already have that's there, okay? People also with diabetes have increased risk of vascular damage, so they can have decreased blood flow through the placenta. Now, people with diabetes, just in general, if it's uncontrolled, have a higher risk of having stillbirths, okay? People with high blood pressure and preeclampsia also have a higher risk of having stillbirths, okay? Especially if you're not well controlled. So we do these tests of fetal well-being, one of which is the biophysical profile or BPP. They can also do an NST. I call this alphabet soup right now. NST stands for, stands for non-stress test. Two NSTs, meaning if you get an NST twice a week, is equivalent to one BPP, which is the biophysical profile. And all of that means that if it's reassuring, meaning the two NSTs weekly, the two or twice weekly NSTs, or once weekly biophysical profile, then we know that your baby has less than a one in 4,000 chance of stillbirth. That's why we do it. We're trying to predict whether you're in a safety zone or whether you're not. Now, these things are not 100%. Okay, it just tells us you have a reduced risk, a super low risk if it's reassuring. So you still have to do your part. You still have to 
monitor how active the baby is. If you feel the baby move 10 times in an hour, okay, and the time you usually feel the baby move, you always feel your baby move after you eat lunch. And now you're not feeling the baby move. You just ate a steak. Well, eat, you know, chew some ice, drink something sweet like orange juice, lay on your side, see if you can feel the baby move. Okay. Obviously, I don't want you to drink orange juice if you're diabetic. I want you to do something a little like graham cracker or something like that. Something with a little bit of substance uh, and see if you can feel the baby move. Okay. Also, you always want to check your blood pressure if you have high blood pressure. You also want to check your finger stick if you have diabetes. Make sure that thing is controlled, okay? Because when you're uncontrolled, that's when our babies can get into some trouble. But that's why we do weekly biophysical profiles to reassure us that we have a low risk of something happening to your baby if you decide to keep you pregnant. If not, then we got to get out of there, okay? If your biophysical profile or your non-stress test is abnormal, that could be a reason that you need to be monitored a little bit closer in the hospital. It could also be a reason that you might need to be delivered a little bit early because, you know, our goal, safe mama, safe baby, okay? We need, we have two patients to worry about and we want to make sure both of you guys are safe. But that is what the BPP stands for and that is why it's being done. All right, what is our last question? This one says, hey, doc, I was told that I am GBS positive and that I will need to be treated at the time of delivery. I'm 39 weeks and worried that I have exposed my baby to an infection that won't be treated until delivery. What is GBS and shouldn't I get treated for this now? How would I have gotten this? OK, so so first, let me say this is not like chlamydia. OK, because people say, oh, my God, how did I get that? OK, group B strep. Okay, group B streptococcus. That's what GBS stands for. So if you have group B streptococcus, which is a type of bacteria, okay, that lives in the vagina, then that type of bacteria has been shown, especially in babies that are preterm, to increase the risk of pneumonia in babies because they're going through the birth canal and of course they're ingesting that. So pneumonia in the babies also increase their risk of having sepsis as well. And mind you, most of the time those are in preterm babies, but full-term babies can get that too. So if you have group B strep in the vagina, meaning you are group B strep positive, then we treat you. We give you penicillin every four hours while you're in active labor to treat that. Okay. Now, why are we not just treating you before? Because it lives in, it's not STD, it lives in the vagina. Listen, we got a lot of different types of bacteria and yeast growing in our vagina. You wash away too much bacteria, you got a yeast infection. You wash away too much yeast, you have bacteria vaginosis. But the stuff that lives in our vagina is supposed to live there. It's a conglomerate of different types of bacteria and yeast to keep the perfect pH of our vagina, okay? Everybody doesn't have the same type of bacteria. So we swab every everybody to say, do you have this type of bacteria? Because that's the one type of bacteria that's been found to cause some issues in our newborn baby. It is not an STD, okay? It's not, not, not an STD. So that's why we're not just like randomly treating you for it because it's just like the vagina, the, it's just what the flora of the vagina, okay? 
Like, leave it alone. It's not bothering you, okay? Your vagina is still good. You're not having any random discharges. It's not a sexually transmitted disease. There's no reason to treat it. The only time we treat it is during the labor process because we know that that can increase your baby's risk of pneumonia and sepsis, okay? Now, some people can't have a GBS urinary tract infection if they have greater than 100,000 colony counts. Those people have a UTI, they get treated with antibiotics in or out of pregnancy. But if you are just GBS lives in your vagina, well, you just, that's just a type of bacteria that lives there. So don't get up in arms. It's not like, oh my God, my baby's been exposed to this the whole pregnancy. No, the exposure is when the baby comes through the birth canal, which is why we give you penicillin. We hope to get two doses on board or at least that first dose for four hours so that that baby can get treated. But even if not, you're already 39 weeks. And like I say, the risk of a full-term baby getting sepsis or pneumonia is very, very slim. Very, very slim. You haven't done anything wrong. This is not an STD. You don't need to be treated before delivery. All right, I'm pretty sure that's all the questions that we have. And my medical intern is shaking her head. Yes. So thanks for listening to Pregnancy Pro's podcast. I hope that you've learned more about some of the uh, medical lingo and what this medical lingo means to you. And I hope that you have a clear vision of what's going to happen during your labor and delivery process. If you like the show, make sure to rate, comment, and share with your friends. Per usual, if you or someone you know has had a pregnancy complication or a unique pregnancy situation, let me know about it. Email me at pregnancypros at gmail.com to hear your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also, remember to follow me on Instagram at pregnancy underscore pearls and Facebook at pregnancy pearls. And don't forget to catch up on the YouTube channel which is youtube.com forward slash pregnancy pearls with dr plenty for more quick talks about pregnancy complications in closing remember to advocate for yourself you are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except for you thanks for listening have an amazing week bye Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. Produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a Mean Old Lion Media production.